It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The U.S. Supreme Court will not consider an appeal by Pennsylvania Republicans to challenge the state's handling of mail-in ballots during the 2020 election. State Republicans had wanted to argue that the state Supreme Court did not have the authority to allow mail-in ballots to be counted if they were received up to three days after Election Day. The Pennsylvania Department of State said about 10,000 mail-in ballots were received during that three-day window out of nearly 7 million ballots cast. Sandy Rios with you. I think that's the biggest story of the last 24-hour cycle is what happened in the Supreme Court yesterday, and I want to talk to you about it. Um, I want to just also say that the Supreme Court, in addition to not hearing any of those election cases, also decided to uh, side with the New York State uh, long-term prosecution attempted of President Trump for his uh, tax records, trying to get them turned over. And so they granted that yesterday. It's amazing, really. Um, I, I, they, in July, they ruled at 7 to 2, rejecting President Trump's argument that he is immune, uh, that a president is immune from investigation while he holds office, and that a prosecutor must show a greater need than normal to obtain his tax records. So it was interesting because uh, Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, uh, they not, you know, pr- President Trump nominated him to the court, but they sided with the, the other justices and said the president can't, uh, can't, um, cannot delay that. And so they're proceeding, and the Supreme Court just decided yesterday that Cyrus Vance, I think Cyrus Vance the 43rd, maybe the third, uh, is the one prosecuting him in New York. It's, um, I don't know, you would think by now that President Trump's, look, this is what I have to say about this. I kind of doubt that President Trump, Trump's taxes have much in them or we'd know. Does anybody think for a moment? They were actually published. I remember that maybe a year ago. Someone, you know, the New York Times, I think, got access to his taxes. And it it was just a barely a whimper over it. So uh, I don't know. I'm sure they'll, whatever they see on a piece of paper, they can construe in whatever way they want. And um, But that's uh, the Supreme Court is the story. The fact that they cited, uh, they did not choose to step in and protect President Trump in his post-presidency. But the big story is that they refuse to hear those election fraud cases. And the irony is, you know, only four of them had to agree to hear those. <clears throat> only four. <clears throat> but, and they were short. Excuse me. They were short by one. And I'll tell you who the, cha- who the champion is in the dissent. I'll tell you who the champion is. Uh, he is my personal champion, and that is uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, the only black justice on the court. And you know, I have to say, I... I am not big on talking about colors of people now. I have a real revulsion to that. I'm so sick of us being divided in colors. And the reason I don't like to do it, this is Black History Month. I haven't said much about that. I'm tired 
of talking about whiteness, blackness, brownness. This is what the left wants. And I just, I actually honestly think that we are all equal. I actually think that black Americans are no different than me. I actually believe that. So I don't feel the need to constantly describe people based on their color. Uh, But I'm saying it today uh, because this is the man of courage on the court. He is the man who still sees things clearly. It's amazing to me. I want to take some time to read to you what he said. Now, he, didn't, he did not dissent alone. It was uh, Justice Alito, who another, I love Justice Alito, also Sam Alito, and um, Neil Gorsuch also. But uh, Amy Coney Barrett? No, not so much. She sided with the libs, and so did Kavanaugh. Uh, so uh, this is what Clarence Thomas said about this. He says, and bear with me. Because I want you to hear how profoundly this man thinks. I, no, he's got great uh, clerks. I know that. But he is brilliant. If you have not seen the movie Created Equal, and some of you, okay, who are black, I'll say that, uh, and listen to this show who just are beginning to have your eyes opened up. This is a man who's been so uh, destroyed by the left, you know, called the Uncle Tom of the Supreme Court and all of these things. And, uh, you know... Clarence Thomas made it through law school, and with the honors that he received, uh, he didn't. There was no affirmative action, and his upbringing was as poor as it could be. And it's beautifully laid out in that movie, Created Equal. If you haven't seen it, go to uh, whatever your outlet is. I don't know if it's Amazon or, well, you still can, if it's still there. Created Equal is the story. If you want to see something incredible, watch that. That's the story of Clarence Thomas. All right, so here's what this brilliant guy says. He says, our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more of us. And um, he says, the Constitution gives to each state legislature authority to determine the manner of federal elections. Yet both before and after the 2020 election, non-legislative officials in various states took it upon themselves to set the rules instead. As a result, we received an unusually high number of petitions and emergency applications contesting those changes. The petitions here are present, a clear example. The Pennsylvania legislature established an unambiguous deadline for receiving mail-in ballots, 8 p.m. on Election Day. Dissatisfied, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended that deadline by three days. These cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable. For more than a century, this court has recognized that the Constitution operates as a limitation upon the state in respect of any attempt to circumscribe the legislative power to regulate federal elections. Because the federal Constitution, not state constitutions, gives state legislatures authority to regulate federal elections. Petitioners presented a strong argument that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision violated the Constitution by overriding a clearly expressed intent of the legislature. And he goes, this, it's, it goes on, and I wish I could read the whole thing to you. Of course, the whole idea is that in Pennsylvania, as you heard him say, uh, unelected or elected officials circumvented the rules of the legislature and thus the Constitution, the federal Constitution, which gives those state legislatures the right to set election rules. And they completely flaunted them, ignored them. And the Supreme Court of the United States said yesterday, They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear. I want to go on this. Go on. 
Justice Thomas says, this is not a prescription for confidence. Changing the rules in the middle of the game is bad enough. Such rule changes by officials who may lack authority to do so is even worse. This expansion impedes... Oh, I'm going to skip that. Um, he talks about the length of time it takes to hear elections, election cases, and that's why courts are generally reluctant to do that, and they can't do it uh, thoroughly enough in such a time. And he talked about the time limits on this one being filed before the election. And in fact, I'll say, read this, because the judicial system is not well suited to address these kinds of questions in the short time period available immediately after an election, we ought to use available cases outside the truncated context to address these admittedly important questions. Here, we have the opportunity to do so almost two years before the next federal election cycle. Our refusal to do so by hearing these cases is befuddling. And then uh, Justice Alito weighed in, and he quoted Chief Justice William Rehnquist, who was one of the, he was the legendary conservative Chief Justice of the Court for a number of years. And he wrote this after the election of 2000 with George W. Bush and Al Gore. Now the election is over, and there's no reason for refusing to decide the important question that these cases pose. The provisions of the federal Constitution conferring on state legislatures, not state courts, the authority to make rules governing federal elections would be meaningless if a state court could override the rules adopted by the legislature simply by claiming that a state constitutional provision gave the courts the authority to make whatever rules it thought appropriate for the conduct of a fair election. But a decision would provide invaluable guidance for future elections. Uh, someone, Ken Blackwell, good friend, and of course he's been on the show, this is his comment about what happened yesterday. Republicans have long since written off Roberts and Kavanaugh. Uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh is giving us a string of disappointments, but this is the first time that Amy Coney Barrett has failed to step up to the plate. So uh, that's that's what happened yesterday in the Supreme Court. It's just pretty sickening. It is because uh, Justice Thomas makes that point. This is going to happen again, and with the uh, HR one on the plate, and that's that horrible, horrible takeover of the of the election system by the feds controlled in by the leftist government that you're watching take more and more power day by day. It's coming up probably this week for a vote. Something has to stop them. But this signals that the court's not willing to do anything. You know, go ahead. Whatever you want to do. We abdicate. We do nothing. And uh, my husband speculated yesterday, and I think he's right, because I do think it's reduced to this, that probably Justice Roberts and others on that court are really afraid that the Democrats are going to expand the court and they will lose their power. And so this is their way of saying, oh, no, no, you don't need to, because why would they expand it? They have the court they need. They have this wonderful court that rules in their favor. And now Amy Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, Roberts already uh, are ruling with the, the liberals, so the liberal justices. So why would you expand the court? And isn't that just Great, because that means John Roberts can still rule over them and they can remain nine powerful people. Do you think that might be a motivation? I think it might be. I'm going to go on because Merrick Garland is being considered as a the attorney general uh, for the United States. He's the nominee. He was uh, being uh, interviewed in the Senate yesterday. I want you to hear his opening remarks, clip 10. 150 years after the department's founding, battling extremist attacks on our democratic institutions also remains central to the department's mission. From 1995 to 1997, 
I supervised the prosecution of the perpetrators of the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building, who sought to spark a revolution that would topple the federal government. If confirmed, I will supervise the prosecution of white supremacists and others who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, a heinous attack that sought to disrupt a cornerstone of our democracy, the peaceful transfer of power to a newly elected government. We must do everything in the power of the Justice Department to prevent this kind of interference with the policies of American democratic institutions. And I plan, if you now confirm me for Attorney General, to do everything in my power to ensure that we are protected. Yes, uh, he wants to stop white supremacy. He emphasizes that. We actually have an NBC report on things he said earlier about those white supremacists that went to the Capitol. Not so much, you know, the John Sullivans of Antifa Black Lives Matter. Not so much the Boogaloo Boys. I don't think I've heard that mentioned. But Merrick Garland, trust me, he's going to go after those white supremacists, quote, unquote. And, of course, he's talking about a much whiter swath of people uh, than the people that wear those pointed hats who don't exist anymore. Hardly. Merrick Garden was asked by uh, Josh Hawley about uh, the assault on the federal buildings in Oregon. I want you to hear this exchange as well. Clip six. Let me ask you about uh, assaults on federal property in places other than Washington, D.C., Portland, for instance, Seattle. Do you regard assaults on federal courthouses or other federal property as acts of domestic extremism, domestic terrorism? Well, Senator, my own definition, which is about the same as the statutory definition, is uh, a use of violence or threats of violence uh, in an attempt to uh, disrupt uh, democratic processes. So an attack on a, uh, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases, that plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, extremism, um, 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 uh, domestic uh, terrorism, um, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't mean, I don't know enough about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, Okay, I'm going to interrupt him um, because you hear the music playing. I w the, I'm trying to make a big point in a very short time. He's the nominee for Attorney General, and he's telling us he's going to go after those white supremacists on January 6th. Uh, and those people out in Portland, they're not really domestic terrorists because they were not attacking those buildings uh, during working hours. Of course, we know that... Every choice you make, you want it to be the wise one. And if you haven't joined MediShare yet, you may want to look into it right now. It may be exactly the wise choice for you and your family. You can save a lot on your health care without sacrificing quality. MediShare gives you free telehealth, a huge network of doctors, all of that. But the typical family saves $500 a month, month after month. And that makes sense for a lot of people, more than 400,000 so far. And you get the security of knowing this has been working great for over 25 years. So MediShare is different. It's a good different. It's really about sharing. Members even pray for each other, which is very refreshing, especially right now. And one more very good thing. If you join before the end of February, they'll waive your new member fee. That's another $170 you'll save before you start saving month after month. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Amy Coney Barrett, Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. After a law career of more than 20 years, she is the fifth woman to serve on our nation's highest court. Romans 13.10 reminds us of the importance of obeying the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you for guidance for Amy Coney Barrett as she works to uphold constitutional law in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 Prayer Journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. David Flynn was the football coach at the high school in Dedham, Massachusetts. His daughter, a seventh grader, last September he became alarmed at a lesson in her world geography class. It covered issues like race and gender, stereotypes, and discrimination. Coach Flynn was especially concerned about lessons describing all police officers as risks to minorities. The teacher also gave students instruction on Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. So Coach Flynn did what any concerned parent would do. He wrote a letter to the school board. Instead of addressing the coach's valid concerns, the school board removed him from his coaching position. Judicial Watch filed a federal lawsuit against Dedham Public Schools alleging discrimination. They say the coach was fired for exercising his First Amendment rights. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton says it's a sad day when the cancel culture mob tackles a high school football coach. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. I was just talking about uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and his heroism and really his great writing about the Supreme Court rejecting, they refusing to entertain the Pennsylvania case and some of the other cases that have been brought about election fraud because we don't dare do that. And uh, Clarence Thomas is saying this is the perfect time to do this because we have another election coming up. We should look at it. And I talked to you about... Uh, that movie uh, that lays out Justice Thomas's life, Created Equal. We talked about it a great deal uh, on this show and, and interviewed Michael Pack, who was the producer of that movie. It was just fabulous, and if you haven't seen it, you must. Well, it's interesting because that kind of ties into our discussion here because Michael Pack, who we got to know on air here, was appointed by President Trump as the head of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, Now, uh, he was under attack for two years. He was nominated and could not get the nomination through. I want to talk about that a little bit more with our guest. Uh, But in his duties, Michael was over the Voice of America. And um, some of you don't even know really what that is or what impact it has. And and yet it's very important. Bill Gertz, my guest, just wrote about it a few days ago. He is the national security writer for the Washington Times. He has been for years. And I've known Bill since I was in Chicago on radio. He has been... He is, one of, he is the first person that alerted me to the dangerous things happening in the Chinese military at the time, the communist military, 
uh, while China seemed so, uh, you know, innocuous itself with all those wonderful goods they were making us, Bill was the first one that alerted me to the dangers. And um, he should be with us more often, but I'm glad he's with us this morning. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hi, Sandy. Good to be on the program. Yeah, so, all right, I already said, this is complex, I think, Bill, because it's hard, especially difficult on radio, because there's so many names and these words, these bureaucratic words, but I already already said that Michael Pack was appointed you at, for to direct the U.S. Agency for Global Media by President Trump. But let me talk to you first, before we get into what's been happening lately, I alluded to the difficulty Michael had in getting his nomination through. Can you just tell us uh, what happened with that? Yes. Um, entrenched bureaucrats within the uh, what we call the public radios of the U.S. government, which is the Voice of America, Radio Free Asia, Radio Free Europe, uh, Middle East Broadcasting, Latin American Broadcasting, um, were in dire need of reform. And But they opposed it, and they accused the Trump administration of trying to politicize uh, these radios, which are very ineffective, they've been accused of just reporting fluff stories rather than uh, following their mission, which is to re- reflect American values and American uh, goals and foreign policies. And so this was really kind of a long, simmering fight for several years. And, and to try and fix the radios, the head of this U.S. agency for global media, they wanted to create a permanent uh, chief executive officer, and this was, in this case, was Michael Pack, a conservative filmmaker, very good guy, and he came in and fired the directors of the radios. He said, we need a fresh start. Uh, it was a good move. Uh, they, re- they reacted by suing him and suing the U.S. Agency for Global Media, and that set in motion this uh, long-running, simmering uh, political battle within these radios, which by the way, are using up, I think it's like $750 million a year in uh, taxpayer funds. So it's a big battle. Um, you know, in my book, I War, which came out in uh, 2016, uh, I said, look, we've got to fix this because we're facing an information onslaught from enemies like uh, China and Russia. And uh, PAC tried to do that. The bureaucracy reacted. And then when the Trump, uh, the Biden administration came in, they again fired uh, all of the radio heads. So you have a kind of turmoil in our uh, U.S. official radio broadcasts and Internet and TV broadcasts. Yes, so that's a great, that's a great opening paragraph. So I want to talk about more of the details. I, uh, Bill, just to give people an idea, I, I was, you may or may not know this, you wouldn't know this, I was the first chairman of the North Korea Freedom Coalition. That's, you know, after I left Chicago, I ended up, being president of CWA, and before that I had traveled a lot internationally doing lots of interviews with people really who were being persecuted in the underground church. That's the short, that's my short paragraph, <laughs> short as I can make it. And I was in North Korea on 9-11, the first 9-11, and because of that, when I came back to the States, I was tapped to be that first chairman. And the reason I'm saying that is because one of the things we did was get through that North Korea uh, Freedom Act. And Congress, and part of that was getting radios into the people, or radio broadcasts, or some kind of little devices into the people of North Korea. And the idea was to let them hear, because they were so shut off. I was so shut off, I didn't even know about 9/11. We didn't even hear about it in North Korea. That no news, nothing. So we wanted to get information to them, and that was, you know, uh, what 20 years ago. But the point 
I'm making is that that's what Voice of America and these broadcasts have been trying to do for decades, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's been a real battle. Um, like I said, they they want to operate under principles of uh, being independent news organizations. They have this idea that unless they operate like a regular news outlet, that they're going to lack re- credibility with their listeners. And of course, you know that's we're now in an information age where um, we, ha- we're, as I as I mentioned, we're facing an information warfare against China especially. I mean, I've, I've documented it there. They view us as their main enemy, and they're working aggressively to try and undermine our country. And, uh, you know, so, so there's an information war going on, but only one side is waging it. The U.S. side is kind of stuck in this uh, last century's approach uh, to dealing with information attacks. Yeah, but Bill, would you say that, that sounds pretty innocuous? My take, look, you're the expert. I'm not, but my take on this is that it's not just they're trying to be a news organization. It's that they have an agenda, that they are not preaching freedom and dem- democratic values, and you know the founding principles of the country. They are embracing the views of like Europe and the uh, communist. I'm not sure they're preaching communism. I can't say that. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think it's as innocent as you make it sound. I'm, I'm, that's not a, uh, an insult. I just want you to respond to that. Sure. Um, I interviewed Michael Pack several times when he was the CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, and he said that that was one of the problems that he was trying to deal with, is that the uh, official radios of the U.S. government were reflective of the liberal left media bias. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest problems in my industry, the news business, is that there's been an extreme politicization. That oh, okay, well, I'll call, we'll call him back. I want to just add, while, he's, uh, while we're getting him back on the line, interestingly enough, Michael Pack was just uh, finally put in office last April. I looked it back in my inbox and uh, lots of us were trying to help him uh, make it across the finish line. And he was being held up first by a con- a Senator uh, Menendez from Florida and then later by uh, Senator Reich. Yeah, I can't remember. Out of it. I think Reich is from Nebraska or someplace like that. They were just holding it up. And he only got in like in last spring. He's been serving for seven months. And in those seven months, uh, he really started attacking uh, all kinds of things and the in the information warfare, including like bringing, trying to go counter China on their block of information. Thanks, Bill. We lost you. I'm glad you're yeah, back. Yeah, we got cut off there somehow. But uh, yeah, so so you, well, I was talking about Michael again and what he did. What, in your view, what did Michael Pack accomplish in his short seven months? Well, um, he was able to uh, first of all fix a couple of uh, very serious security problems. For example, uh, most people don't know it, but uh, Voice of America and other radio people often are granted security clearances, and he found that there were massive security violations in the vetting of personnel who were hired at the radios, and so he tried to fix that. Um, he also identified financial corruption uh, in, in the case of this one uh, Persian news network uh, director uh, who was, as you mentioned in my story, I revealed that she was rehired. They were getting ready to fire her uh, at the very last month. And then when the Biden administration came in, not only did they not fire her, 
but they rehired her and promoted her to a senior position. It, it you know, you you kind of uh, hit the palm of your on your forehead when you hear that kind of stuff. Well, and also, I mean, per, because we should say what you write about uh, is that her name is well, she's Satara Derek Derek Shesh. Shesh Sieg. So her married name is Sieg, and I appreciate I like being able to call her Mrs. Sieg, which is what you refer to her as. Uh, but she yeah. is a, uh, um, she's a, uh, maybe loyalist is too strong of a word. Let's just say that she applies to her work uh, defending the, the Ayatollahs and the Iranian regime. Uh, she has an opinion, all right, but it isn't about freedom for the Iranian people. It's about whatever the regime thinks. Is that a fair statement? Yes, uh, I heard from numerous current and former uh, VOA and State Department officials that she was a basically an Iranian government sympathizer, and that this was reflected in uh, the Iranian broadcast, um, which uh, one official said it, it wasn't the voice of America, it became the voice of Tehran. And so this was a real problem, and people were kind of uh, whistleblowers were coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, look, this is not right. This is, this is wrong. She also uh, falsified her resume that she used in her employment documents when she was hired back in 2014 by claiming apparently uh, falsely that she, was a, she had earned a doctorate from the Sorbonne. In fact, she went to a lesser university there and didn't receive a doctorate. Um, you know, these are these are serious allegations that were brought, uh, contained in a uh, in a report, which I got a copy of, and I, I reported on it in in my story. And it's uh, it's amazing to me that there isn't some more of a reaction uh, from the people who oversee the U.S. government on Capitol Hill and. In the House well, they, and Senate, they should be um, on this and and really kind of uh, saying, "Hey, what's going on here?" Let me just repeat because she has been reinstated by the Biden administration and promoted. Bill has written about this in his article in the Washington Times. It's called "VOA Voice of America: Executive Fired Under Trump, Rehired by Biden." We'll, we'll put that on our Facebook page so that you can uh, hopefully access that. Uh, Bill, uh, you point out in your article that the National Defense Authorization Act, which was just signed on January 1st, is supposed to prevent, you you mentioned already that this uh, whole entity, the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which oversees Voice of America and all these other things, is not supposed to be political, and they're not supposed to be hired and fired with political administrations, right? And that's in, that's in law with the uh, National Defense Authorization Act? That's right. And, um, and also the whole point of creating a Senate-confirmed CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which, of which Michael Pack was the first Senate-confirmed CEO for that position, was done so that they couldn't fire it uh, until they couldn't fire people when a new administration came in, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, that was further expanded in the uh, Defense Authorization Act, which was passed into law, uh, last year, which contained a provision that said no officials of either the agency or the Voice of America or the radios can be fired unless it's approved by an advisory board. Well, they didn't get this board created in time, and the Biden administration used that loophole to, to dismiss uh, the directors of all, all the radios, who, by the way, are now planning a class action lawsuit against 
the Biden administration agency for global media saying that they were unfairly dismissed. So uh, the whole situation there is is, uh, really messed up in terms of uh, trying to get our information outlets uh, really on track in the information age. So the, the, the real problem here is that we don't have a coherent systematics uh, program of presenting news and information and representing American values and freedom uh, that, can, that can really tell the world what we're about. I, I remember, and you've probably had the same experience, I remember talking to people who lived under the Soviet Union or lived in communist China who said that you know, the voice of America, the broadcast there, were their hope for freedom and, and, and freedom from communism. And yet we really need that today more than ever. Bill, I was just thinking as you're saying that uh, there may be a time when Americans wouldn't comprehend that, but I'm actually thinking that certainly people that listen to my show and are staying informed are beginning to see a glimpse of what that's like. I mean, I hear people saying, I, can't, I don't know where to look. I can't get good information. I can't find that on the Internet. It's nothing about, you know, nothing about uh, uh, social distancing and not wearing masks, nothing counter to the World Health Organization's rules, nothing about certain politicians, nothing about, you know, truth is getting harder to find. And I think we can understand now why people who are completely shut off, like those in North Korea and Russia used to be and in China now, uh, where they'd be starving for truth. And that's what we used to provide them, and that's what you're saying. Exactly. I, I agree with you completely. I mean, the whole notion of uh, left-wing, radical leftist cancel culture is very similar to what we're seeing under communist regimes. It's a little bit different. Uh, they haven't uh, begun arresting people, uh, but we do see uh, some very troubling signs of uh, uh, censorship, mass censorship by big tech companies, and uh, and now by the Democrats in power, they want to censor uh, opposing voices. They don't want to debate anymore, and yep. this is a this is a real problem. Hey, Bill, hold on just one second, guys. Let's hold this break by five minutes because I want to. I would love. To, I want to get your. I want to change the subject just for a second and get your take on something. Can you stay with me five minutes more? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is uh, this is something that ha- this is a totally different subject. This is something that happened yesterday in a press conference, and I'm sure you know about it. Let me find the names here. Uh, this was um, a press conference with the State Department, uh, and I know you've been in lots of those press conferences. I don't know if you were there yesterday, but this is pretty ama- amazing. State Department spokesman Ned Price is being questioned by, I believe, an AP reporter, and it's pretty stunning. Let's listen. It's clip five. The report that we sent to Congress last Friday also includes a list uh, of entities that have engaged in good faith efforts to wind down activities related to Nord Stream 2 uh, during this relevant time period. Of course, uh, those entities are not subject to U.S. sanctions precisely because they have taken these good faith uh, steps, steps in the right direction. There are 15, uh, there are over 15 uh, of them. And I think that demonstrates uh, that our strategy, including the legislative strategy, the strategy that, of course, Congress um, is um, uh, has been behind, um, has been working to good effect. Claim credit for the 18 companies winding down. All of this work was done under the previous administration. Matt, you guys Matt, have only been in month for, Matt, I mean, only been in office for a month. I, 
right? Are you telling me that in the last I, four weeks, these 18 companies all of a sudden decided to say, oh my God, we better not do Matt, anything with Nord I am, I am speaking for the All United, of that, I am taking, speaking, you guys are taking credit for stuff that the Matt, previous administration Matt, did. Right? I, I, I am not, no? I am yes speaking no? for the Department of State. Okay. The people right. who have been working this, okay. the people who are working this now, were the same people a month ago, were the same people three months ago? Three months, months ago. ago. So okay. I. All right. All right, that was um, Associated Press reporter Matt Lee challenging uh, the State Department spokesman Ned Price. Bill, this is your bailiwick. I don't, I'm not expecting you to be a, an expert on this topic in this moment, but I would love your reaction to what, that, what happened there. Well, yeah, this is the, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, which the U.S. is opposing because it will, it will make Europe more dependent on energy resources from, from Russia. And uh, at least 18 companies have uh, basically terminated their participation in the pipeline uh, and are pledging to withdraw from the project because the U.S. threatened them with sanctions. And as you mentioned, the, uh, the State Department spokesman, yeah, I, I did listen in on that briefing yesterday, was trying to take credit for it, and the AP reporter uh, basically blew the whistle on it and said, look, you, can't, you guys uh, are, you can't take credit for this because... This was had been in train, and he kind of acknowledged that. But you know, that's that's typical of uh, of politics in Washington. Nobody should be surprised that uh, they're trying to take credit for something that uh, the previous administration had done. It is unusual because the Biden administration has one of the key characteristics of their policies is everything that Trump did. They're opposing now. In the case of uh, China, they are tr- they are making. Uh, statements and re- using rhetoric which was is tough on china but it remains to be seen if they're going to continue to be followed pursue the 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 much tougher policies towards uh, communist china that the trump administration did whether those policies will continue under the biden administration the thing that stunned me aside from the content the great content you just gave us was that an associated press reporter was so powerfully calling him out. Isn't that, does that, is this normal? Yeah, that's Matt Lee. I traveled with him uh, last year with Secretary of State Pompeo. We did an around-the-world trip. And uh, he's a a tough reporter. He he was very tough on the Trump administration, and now it sounds like he's starting to be a little tough on the Biden administration. So that's, that's certainly a good sign. It's a breath of fresh air. It's a breath of fresh air because we can't, you know, AP is not known for its uh, conservative right. values. And, I mean, maybe, you know, a glimpse of a return to real journalism? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> the real problem is at the top where the New York Times has uh, yeah. dropped all pretense of being an objective news outlet. Uh, uh, the late uh, Abe Rosenthal, who, was, uh, who, who on, his, on his gravestone, it states... Uh, he kept the paper straight, uh, would be rolling in his grave to see the New York Times today. It has stopped becoming an objective newspaper. It's a newspaper with a leftist agenda. And, uh, Absolutely. That's really bad for the news business. Yes, it is, because that's, as I've just explained to my listeners before, they're kind of the lead dog. Everyone looks to them, and that's, that's bad. All right, so Bill, always a pleasure. Bill Gertz with the Washington Times. Again, his article is VO8 Executive Fired under Trump, rehired by Biden. It's a great article, and it's something that you 
It's another thing that you need to know about. Thank you for joining me, Bill. This is C.A.D. Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Karl Marx, an emissary of evil, and Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, were evangelists of diametrically opposed messages. Yet they both lived in London at the same time. In fact, when asked the name of the person he most detested, Frederick Ingalls, Marx's cohort in chaos, responded unequivocally, Spurgeon. A generation later, George Bernard Shaw, a hardcore communist, seethed in hatred for William Booth and his Salvation Army of volunteers. Time and again, robust Christian witness has been the inoculate against the proliferation of Marxist poison in society. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. When President Trump's team challenged election results because of voter irregularities, Democrats, when apoplectic, started yelling about apocalyptic threats to democracy and howling at the moon. And now they are actively seeking to overturn election results from a congressional race in Iowa. The issue is whether votes were counted that shouldn't have been, virtually the same issue in President Trump's challenge to his election results. Obviously, Democrats are hypocrites of the worst sort here, insisting it's okay for them to challenge certified election results when they want to, but not for candidates they despise. Stalin said it's not the voters that count, it's the people who count the votes that count, since they can cheat the system blind. May justice be done in Iowa today. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Members of Congress and the public are understandably puzzled about why the U.S. Capitol remains a razor-wired, heavily defended green zone. It seems to be an expensive Maginot line against a wildly exaggerated external threat to American democracy. The real peril to our constitutional republic is now an impending inside job. In both the House and Senate, the slimmest of Democrat majorities are poised to jam through legislation that would preclude free and fair elections in the future. 
disarm Americans, open our borders, and incentivize millions more aliens to come here illegally, and destroy the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. The idea seems to be to use the fortification of Capitol Hill not only to minimize voters' access to their representatives, especially the 40-plus highly vulnerable Democrats, but to intimidate American patriots into acquiescing to the crushing of their freedom. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Merrick Garland says the siege of the Capitol shows that violent extremism is more of a threat now than it was 26 years ago when the Oklahoma City Federal Building was bombed and Garland led that federal prosecution. He says the Capitol investigation will range beyond the actual rioters. We begin with the people on the ground and we work our way up to those uh, who are involved and further involved. Garland pledged to make sure the White House and politics don't interfere with investigations, including the special counsel's inquiry into the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign and the tax investigation of the president's son, Hunter. I would not have taken this job if I thought that politics would have any influence over prosecutions and investigations. On other issues, he called the Trump child separation policy shameful and said he couldn't think of anything worse. While he rejected any calls to defund the police, he said police departments should be investigated if they show a pattern of violating civil rights. All right, so that was NBC News, Pete Williams. And the point I wanted, what I wanted you to hear was the first part. That's what I wanted to remind you of. We talked about Merrick Garland, who is the appointee for Attorney General by Joe Biden. And I got, I got cut off. I actually, I just talked myself into the break and did not make my points well, and I want to, because he will be the Attorney General of the United States. I don't think there's any reason to think he won't be. Uh, and uh, Pete was talking about how he vowed to go after those January 6th rioters. Uh, I know that he's called it a heinous capital riot. Uh, he vowed to oversee the prosecutions in another statement. And people are, because he's emphasizing white supremacists, and of course we know that that word is being twisted into meaning any person that supported Donald Trump, any person that opposed Obamacare. Any person that, I mean, it's just uh, the, the swath is very wide uh, about who's a white supremacist these days. And uh, certainly evangelicals uh, who are white are, you know, we're all cast in that shadow. Anybody that attended the January 6th is, you know, first up to be uh, targeted and investigated. And so it's pretty, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. That's all I can say. Uh, and I so I want to emphasize also that he went on to say when Josh uh, Hawley inter, uh, was asking him questions, and we did play this clip, uh, but Josh is asking him, uh, well, let me ask you about the assaults on federal property in places other than D.C., like Portland or Seattle. Do you regard assaults on federal courthouses or other federal property as acts of domestic extremism or domestic terrorism? And Judge Garland's response is, um, his response is, that those happened in Seattle and Portland, not during the work hours. And so he didn't consider it domestic terrorism or domestic violence. He said, I just don't, I don't see that. It's not, you know, it didn't happen during the work hours. It just happened to be at night or during the day, not at night. And so it didn't matter that much. But I want to contrast to show you how dangerous that is. I want to read you another statement by the last attorney general in response to those attacks in Portland and Seattle. Behind the veil of protests, 
highly organized violent operators have carried out direct attacks on federal personnel and property, particularly the federal courthouse in Portland. As I recall, a guard was killed. Do you remember that? Shielded by the crowds, which make it difficult for law enforcement to detect or reach them, violent opportunists in Portland have attacked the courthouse and federal officers with explosives, lasers, projectiles, and other dangerous devices. In some cases, purported journalists or legal observers, these are in quotes, I have provided cover for the violent offenders. In others, individuals wearing supposed press badges have, them, have themselves attacked law enforcement or trespassed on federal property. More than 200 federal officers have been injured in Portland alone. And Merrick Garland says this, uh, that he thinks uh, this was not terrorism because they did not do it during the work hours. So that is your potential attorney general. And I want you to know, uh, Merrick Garland, who he is, he's the one that President um, Obama wanted to be the Supreme Court justice, and um, it's Mitch McConnell delayed hearing him, and so that's that's why he's beloved by the left. Uh, and he's supposed to be a moderate, but are there any of them left anymore? I, I don't know. This is really interesting given that whole scenario about January 6th and how they're painting it. You remember seeing the uh, pictures of these guys sitting in the speaker's chair, one of them was the guy, the weird guy who was in the fur hat. And actually, he was charged, if you recall, and you may not recall, he was charged with uh, sitting in the presiding officer's chair uh, in the Senate. I think it was in the Senate. Yes, in the Senate. So that was the charge against him. Well, it's interesting because some people have gone back in time, in fact, a way back in time, and this is 2007. This is Joe Biden on The Tonight Show with David Letterman. Let's listen. What was that like, uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21, and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And then a Saturday session, I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And, I, and they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat. Guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, Joe Biden back uh, in 2007 saying that he uh, went into the Capitol without credentials, went into the chamber without escort, and sat in the presiding officer's seat, as the, did the weird dude in the fur, fur hat on January the 6th, who's being charged with doing that. That's one of the charges. And uh, just the irony uh, is pretty rich, I think you will agree. I want to also point out that Fox is pointing out that Biden has boasted about being arrested before it turned out to not to be true. Uh, he claimed during the 2020 presidential election he'd been arrested while trying to see and imprison Nelson Mandela on a visit to South Africa, but later the campaign had to admit it wasn't true. So this might not be true, but if it is true, well, it's very interesting, isn't, isn't it? I want. Uh, I, uh, I will be at CPAC this week. CPAC usually is in uh, National Harbor, Maryland, right outside of D.C. And I've you know broadcast from there for well since it began, I guess. Not since CPAC began, but since Radio Row there uh, began. Uh, and I will be on Radio Row this time. But this time they are meeting uh, in Orlando, Florida. It's, it seems it's it's really ironic that Florida has become kind of the the refuge and the central gathering place. For conservatives, it's the the place of freedom. You know, the the governor Ron DeSantis is a real champion for freedom. So CPAC is meeting uh, in Florida uh, this week, and I will be there broadcasting live on Radio Row Thursday and Friday. 
and bringing you lots of stories because lots of people will be there, including President Trump, uh, who's going to be speaking on Sunday. Um, interesting, uh, Mike Pence was supposed to be there to speak at their Lincoln dinner. I believe it was Saturday night, and he is now canceled. So there's all this speculation about what's going on there. And one of the things I haven't addressed with you, which maybe I will, uh, maybe I will at longer length, but if you don't already already know, there is a huge war brewing between Republican establishment and uh, Republican Trump supporters. Uh, it's a wide gulf. And uh, some people are saying, um, you know, start a new party. Uh, President Trump has said, I don't want to do that. I'll work within the Republican framework. Uh, the Republican establishment have said, as uh, Mitch McConnell said in 2014, I will destroy the Tea Party. And actually, that was the precursor to the Trump movement. And uh, I would say from my bird's eye view, that's exactly what um, Mitch McConnell almost did. You know, all the Republican consultants and the establishment consultants were always advising candidates not to weigh in on those icky social issues. That's embarrassing. You know, talk about taxes, lowering taxes, and smaller government. That's what you can talk about. Don't talk about any of the rest of that stuff. That's what political consultants were telling candidates for years so that you never really knew quite where they stood. They even stopped filling out uh, surveys by different uh, organizations to find out where they felt on the issue of life, on marriage. They stopped filling them out because their consultants told them to do that because then they could get in under the wire and then go on to uh, Congress to do whatever it was that they wished to do. And that's why Congress is filled with so many worthless people. Uh, Mitch McConnell and the likes of the establishment party has made sure of that. People they can control, uh, people that they can enrich, but people who do not represent the people. And if you anyone wants to argue with me about that, I don't think so. I think you've seen it in living color with your eyes. So I'm ready for this battle to begin myself. Speaking in this world, this is a battle that should took pl- take place. Pence has withdrawn, and I think it's because he represents uh, the establishment. Donald Trump represents Trump voters and people who really are out front about their passions and what they really believe in. So that's coming up. I'll be at CPAC and I'm sure there'll be lots to say about that. And I'm going to say it. All right. uh, Have a great day. And remember that God is always sovereign in everything. Sandy Rios in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.